0: Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast, a part of JewishCoffeeHouse.com, the show on where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Fran Stans, welcome back to the Francisca Show. I am so delighted to be delivering this three-part series to you on head covering. So the first episode is going to be a halachic overview delivered by Rachel Peleg, my sister, who has extensively prepared a sheer on the history and involvement of head covering. So this episode is going to go through the halachic and historic sources of head covering for women. And then stay tuned for the next episode, which is going to cover the sensory issues around head covering, as well as a representation of the wig industry and a personal story from a woman who had a long back and forth journey with head covering. I hope this brings value. I hope this helps bring more love and understanding amongst women and their different approaches to this mitzvah. The follow-up third episode is at least the plan is to release some of the bonus content I have gathered over interviewing some of our guests from the next episode. So all the stuff that wasn't totally related to our topic, but was definitely interesting and hopefully worthwhile sharing with you. So stay tuned. And I present to you Rachel Peleg. See you in the next episode.
1: Brady, I'm so excited to be here. I have been listening to your podcast for years now, and to be here today is a really big honor for me, so thank you so much. Just preparing for this episode, I got to discover so many interesting sources that I never knew before, and it really gave me so much more appreciation for the Smith's Fund for how huge and complex this whole topic is. I hope to show today the halakhic evolvement of Kisui Roche and how it started in its embryonic form all the way back in the Gemara. And now it's transported all the way today, the way it's established halachically today. I'll be quoting from commentaries, and I'll be mentioning where and when those commentaries lived, and in order for us to get an understanding of the map and chronology of how the halach of head coverings developed over time. So let's start off with the Gemara. in, Maseches Ksuvos, in the context of head coverings, we have two halachic categories. So bear with me. It's going to be a little bit technical in the beginning, but then once we get after the Gemara, it's going to get less technical. So we have two categories. The first is Dat Moshe, and the second category is Dat Yehudit. Dat Moshe refers to the mitzvot that are set in the Torah. Now Dat Yehudit, the way that Rishonim interpreted this in this Gemara, and also that's the way the Shulchan Aruch Paskins, it's the custom to be modest that was common among Jewish women. Even though it's not explicitly written in the Torah, And it's not forbidden by the Torah. Nevertheless, these are the menhagim the women practiced in the nation in regards to tsniut. And the Jewish women were superior in adhering to modesty over women from other nations. The context for the Mishnah to bring those two categories is if a woman were to transgress one of the norms of behavior that are in the category of either Dat Moshe or Dat Yehudit, her husband may want to divorce her without paying up what he is committed to by the k'suba. Mishnah offers a few examples. One of them is, Yotza She goes out and her hair is loose, not gathered. This means a woman who goes out and her hair is out loose or down, she's behaving in a way that goes against the minhag of what Jewish women practiced, that Yehudit. The Gemara asks on this specific example, which is that Yehudit, but Rabbi Ishmael taught that the door forbids a married woman to go to a public place where her hair is loose or down. And that this is so, then doing this violets not that Yehudit, but rather that Moshe. But then following this, the Gemara distincts between two different situations. The first is that according to Rabbi Ishmael, if a woman goes out to the market and her hair is perula right? down and loose, it's forbidden from the Torah. However, if her hair is somehow gathered in a net or in a band and it's not completely loose, then it's not forbidden from the Torah. The second example the Gemara brings focuses on the norm. That is, before going out to a shuk, they would cover their hair so it wouldn't be exposed. That was the standard the woman practiced the Gemara adds a third situation. In a crowded place, that means not as public as shuk, but as more people than in private courtyards, that before going to such a crowded place, a married woman would gather her hair or braid it, also from the norm of Dati Hudid. So let's just conclude up until now. According to Dat Moshe, it is forbidden for a married woman to go out to the shuk with her hair completely loose and down. Only Dati Hudid forbids going to the shuk even with collected or gathered hair if it's exposed. But both Dat Moshe and Dati Hudid Allowed to go to crowded places with somewhat exposed hair, as long as it's collected in a net or in a kis katan. This kind of summarizes this the Ksubos, according to most Rishonim. But I would like to share with you a minority opinion of the Chumas Hedashen, who bases his opinion on the Rambam, that he says every law about gathering and covering hair is just Devercha which means Dati hudit. And what Rabbi Ishmael taught that going after the shok with one's hair is loose is forbidden by the Torah, he actually means it was hinted by the Torah. So, this is Trumas Hadeshin's explanation of Rabbi Ishmael. Most postkim do not understand it according to this way. As we said before, this mitzvah of covering hair is based on dati hudit, stemming from a minhag that women initially took upon themselves. And it's not an is at Torah. Rather, it's customs that have to do with the level of tzniyut. And this is how it went on for generations where women took on being more stringent with the laws of tzniyut. And it's reflected in the Mishnah and the Gemara as being stringencies. Those are haq That means the required norm. As such, the minhag formed the halacha, and the halacha is impacted greatly by the minhag. The greater question is what happens when over the generations a more stringent norm is formed, and what does that do to the halachic status? And if in other generations, the norm changes suddenly in places, countries, communities, and let's say it becomes less less than the norm, does that also change the halacha that was based on the norm? This is to say, does the norm in these places lessen the level of how we have to cover our hair? So let's start answering these questions. First, let's explore the halachic obligation that came from the customs that formed over time. No married woman left her home without her hair covering, even to a place that usually didn't have people and even in her own home. An important note here is that we're not trying to explore the different toth of the post and the different approaches. Rather, we're trying to bring examples that really reflect or even testify the norm that was custom in different places over the generations and the extent to which it connects to and expands the halachic obligation we have today. So in Gemara Yoma, we see the minhag of Kimchit. She's this really, really righteous woman. Her name is Kimchit. And she never revealed her hair, not even inside her house when there was no one there. And it's written that this is the minhag of chassidut. It's the it's minhag of righteous. The minhag of righteous in definition means it's different than the norm. But then we have the of Safos, who are located in France during the 12th and 13th centuries. And in Gemark Sugos 72b, they say that she only needs to cover her hair only when she goes outside of her house and out of her courtyard. But then we have the Rambam who lived in Muslim countries in the 11th century. And he said that women are obligated to cover their hair also inside of their house. So through Gimchit, this righteous woman, and then the ballet Tosafot, and then the Rambam, we see this linear evolvement. We're speaking here about norms. We're moving ahead 400 years, and we come into Ashkenaz, where we see the Bach. The Bach lived in Poland in the 16th and 17th century, and he opposes the Tosafot that we just mentioned. He bases his opinion on the Tor, who lived in Germany in the 13th and 14th centuries. And the Bach says that even a woman in her own courtyard is required a hair covering. The Bach adds that even among the people of her house, she should wear a form of head covering. And this opinion of the Bach is unlike Rashi and Tosafot and Haran. If we move ahead 600 years, we come to the Chassam Sofer that lived in Ashkenaz during the 18th and 19th century, who gave the psak that because the woman chose to be more stringent, that women took upon themselves to cover their hair, even in their homes, This is considered to be the complete din. This is the ruling that all women are obligated now to cover their hair even in their rooms, inside their houses. The Chasim Sofer says that this opposes the understanding of the Gemara, but points out his own psak that the minhag became to be more Makbir. This same more Makbir minhag now establishes the halacha, and that is what we practice today. If we move down 800 years, we get to the Chafetz Chaim, who was in Lithuania during the 19th and 20th century, and he wrote that since our forefathers already accepted upon themselves this, we make it a din gamor. Nachavitz Chaim brings the Magan Abraham, which bases the sminhag on the Zohar, which is like one of the big sources for Kabbalah. The Zohar says that it is an isr gamur to reveal one's hair in the house. The Zohar even says, You will be cursed. So whoever wants bracha, stay away from this. 850 years later, we come to America and we have Ramosha Feinstein. He says, It's permitted for women, Meikar Hadin, to have her hair uncovered in her own home and in front of the people in her home. He even adds that a Talmud Chacham and a doesn't have to not marry a woman if she won't cover her hair in the house. I mean, let's say we have a Talmud Chacham and he's going out with a girl that he knows she might, or probably, or whatever the case is, she will not cover the hair when she gets married inside the house. That should not be a reason not to marry her. So up until now, we've seen how being makbed in a certain custom has really established a new halachic demand. But now let's explore another central reason behind why women cover their hair in the first place. And this will derive from the Halachos when saying words of Kedusha. In Maseches Brachos, it says a man cannot say Shma facing a woman whose hair is uncovered, when it normally should be covered. Because the beauty of a woman is also seen in her hair. We see this in the different descriptions of Megillah Shira Shirem, describing how beautiful the woman's hair is. The nature of a woman's beauty is that it can distract the man from focusing what he needs to do when saying Shma or other words of Kedusha. Therefore, exposed hair that normally is covered is considered as an exposed potty part. This is the Pesach according to the Rishonim and the Shulchan Aruch. In recent years, though, many women do not cover their hair at all. And there are big postskim that write that even though the Shulchan Aruch paskins that they do have to cover their hair, since they do not cover their hair on a day-to-day basis, it's therefore not an issue of a man being distracted when saying to break a dusha. That means if it's culturally normal to see uncovered hair, that it won't be distracting because it's a normal thing for her hair not to be covered. And in the same case, for example, with a single woman, it's not a problem to say Debre in front of her because it's a usual thing for her hair not to be covered. The Ben-Ishchai says something similar. He lived in Baghdad in the 19th century. He says that the women in Europe walk around with their hair out, and that's why you could say in front of them holy words. Another similar source, this was by Rav Yechiel Mechel Epstein, author of the Orach who lived in Lithuania during the 19th century. He writes, it's allowed to daven and make brachos, facing women's uncovered hair, because not now many women don't cover their hair. It's like facing other body parts that are normally uncovered. So I'm interpreting just the way you're allowed to say shema in front of a woman's hand or in front of a woman's face. So too, a woman's uncovered hair does kind of take on the status of that kind of being this normal thing that is uncovered. I do want to emphasize here that this is different from other intimate places that need to be covered, regardless of they usually are covered or not. When saying "shma," The difference is that hair, in contrast to intimate parts, is normally uncovered among single women, whereas other intimate places do need to be covered, whether single or married, just to make this little distinction. So we can kind of derive an important difference here between a single and married woman's status of hair covering. This teaches us that there's a fundamental difference between covering one's body and covering one's hair. The norm of needing to cover one's hair in public places, according to Datmoshe, Moshe, and in additional places, according to Dati Yehudit, are all dependent on whether a woman is married. The seesha is that, in contrast to covering intimate parts, covering the hair stems from something other than just basic modesty. When a married woman is among others in a crowd, the Datmoshe Moshe mostly focuses on public spaces, like the Shuk. It's because of the fact that this woman is married to a man and she's not available for other relations. Both the Talmud Yerushalmi, followed by the Shulchan Arch, Poskin, that an unmarried woman does not have to cover her hair. So there's this strong element that a head covering shows that a married woman is taken, or more positively said, unavailable and not open for potential new relationships. Now, it's interesting. What about widows and divorcees? They have been married in the past, but now they are available. So both the widow and divorcee did live at a time in the past where their norm was to cover their hair. Therefore, even though now they no longer have the original reason for covering their hair. The symbol that shows that this woman is married to a man, but because they had a time period in their past where their hair was covered, now if they would reveal it, it would seem that they're revealing a part that was normally hidden. This exposing of their hair could lead others to have unnecessary herhurim, distracting thoughts, or even promiscuous thoughts, because until now, they were used to seeing this part covered, and now it's out there for all to see. This effect caused by the transition from being covered to being exposed doesn't fit with the stringent modesty norms that Jewish women were accustomed to do from their own will throughout the time. In contrast to all of this, a single woman's hair was never covered and never went through the norm of being covered and never went through the transition of being covered and then exposed. And that's why it won't tend to cause hierhoram, among others, about them. Let's fast forward to today. Rav Moshe Feinstein made a header for a widow and divorcee to not cover their hair in two very specific scenarios. The first is a widow who lives among Gentiles and she would be likely to lose her source of income. If she would show up to work with a head covering, then she's allowed to not cover her hair. And the second scenario is if a young woman who's worried that if she shows up with her hair covering at a meeting with a new potential prospect for marriage and her hair covering may ruin that connection. It's natural that at some point after meeting this woman, obviously the man would know that she had been previously married. But still, if this piece of knowledge comes after the first meeting or beginning of the relationship, there's a higher likelihood that he would want to marry her despite her previously being married. But if the mere fact of a failed marriage in the past would kind of show its presence through the head covering from the very beginning of this new relationship, it would probably lower the likelihood that this would end in marriage. And that's why Rav Moshe made this head turn not to cover her hair during the time when she is meeting a man for this purpose. So now that we covered kind of the big reasons why we cover our hair and what the differences are between the status of a married woman's covering her hair and not being married, let's look at the technical measurements. So according to most post-skim, hair that is natural for it to make its way out of a head covering, it does not have to be covered. This is according to Rashba, who was from Spain during the 14th century. And he says, her face, her hands and her legs and the speech from her voice that is not song and the hair that makes its way out of the braid and chosheshin lahem. We are not chosheish, meaning we allow it. This is from Rachos Chavzalat Aleph. Now, here is a fascinating source from Haram Alashkar. He was from the generation that was expelled from Spain. So I'll be quoting here directly from Halachic response that he wrote to his dear friend, who asks about a more stringent opinion of somebody else from where he lives. This response also touches on the theme of how Minog establishes Halacha both ways. So the Maharam starts. He says, you asked me a question, my friend, if we should be cautious about the women who leave out to- hair on purpose leave out hair out of their head covering now according to what you heard someone said that it's not allowed you quoted him saying that just because our mothers were no nohig to reveal some hair outside of their hair covering it was a mistake and despite the fact there was a minhag it's an isr his reason for this isser is what chazal says. chazal says specifically that a woman's hair is an erva what's an erva erva is a naked part that needs to be covered and therefore, it's important not to expose any of it. Here he finishes quoting what his friend had written to him. Now, the Maharam Alashkar's answer is, Really, there is no such foundation for Khashash, No foundation to even be cautious about the specific hair, which is purposefully left out, even for kriyashma. Because the menhag of our generation is to reveal it. Because something that is naturally revealed, the heart of the person who sees the revealed part is oblivious to it. Everything in these halachos we consider the menhagim and the places. And for sure, no Israel were no hik to leave out hair on purpose during the times of the Mishnah and the Talmud, and maybe even during the times of the Beis HaMikdash. Here the Maharaj quotes the sources from Shas to prove that this was the menhag to leave out hair on purpose. This menhag is to reveal some hair outside of the head covering in order to add beauty. This is a menhag of women in our times. A woman that braids all her hair and then leaves out her side hairs or the sides of the bangs, you know, the corner hairs which frames her face. So the Maram says, according to what this person you mentioned, he quoted Chazal saying that a woman's hair is air and therefore all hair must be covered, even if the menhag was to reveal it. Well then, according to this reason, women should also have to cover their eyebrows, because that's also hair. So here, that makes me kind of smile, because, you know, we're reading something that was written in the early 1500s, this is halachic responsa, and there's like this strong sense of humor here, and refuting this other person's sock goes. Interesting. So back to the Maharam. He continues that more than this, women that were expelled from countries where they used to have the in Mexico for their entire hair, and now they move to a new country. If they establish themselves in this new country and they have no intention of moving back, then they adapt to the minute of the new country. So this is historically very relevant. He himself, the Maharam, is from the generation that was expelled from Spain. So we have a huge Jewish population that is migrating all over the world from Spain. So just imagine we have a woman who in Spain, for example, this is just my own example. I don't know if it's what historically was at that point, but let's say back in Spain, her hair needed to be fully covered. That was the hug. And then she moves to Amsterdam and in Amsterdam. The hair is, you could leave out your, your bangs or something or the sides of your bangs. In that case, if I want to stay in Amsterdam and this is going to be my new community and I'm never going to move back to Spain, I'm allowed to adapt this new hug, which is less sure than what my norm used to be. And this is according to the Maharam. The Maharam concludes that the midhag of our holy mothers is in our hands. In many contexts, the chamem lenient in order for the wife's beauty to be enhanced for her husband. Then the Maharam has this beautiful poetic conclusion to his friend where he writes, These are the words covered in love because of my separation from you. The walls of my heart are croaking. Moshe Alashkar. Okay, now I'll just mention a technical measurement from Moshe Feinstein, who would define the permissible amount to show is 4 centimeters or 1.6 inches from the roots of the forehead towards the head. It's allowed to be shot. Here's the question. Where does that leave us today? In the Haredi, primarily Ashkenazi world in Israel, it's accepted the more machmir or more stringent approach, which demands a full covering. And in some Hasidic communities, there are even women who shave their heads after getting married in order to ensure that not even a single hair will ever escape the head covering. If it's not there, it won't escape. When it comes to wigs, though, there is a lot of debate among close skin. There are those who forbid it, and there are those that permit it. Also, according to those that allow it, that is only where it's the custom to wear wigs. But in a place where there's no norm to wear wigs, then it's forbidden due to maris ayin that people will not know it's a wig and judge it to be the real natural hair of the woman. In this context, it's important to point out that Rav Avadah Yosef who was one of the most machmer in this matter. He did permit wigs for widows and divorcees if there was a serious need to wear a wig. And here there's another source that was interesting for me because when I was in Michalak College, it was like the first time that I was in my own class. I had girls from all over the world, from all kinds of different backgrounds and different men hug him. And I remember once walking through this empty classroom, and one of my classmates was davening, and I saw that she was wearing a mitzpachad on her hair. She was wearing like a pet scarf. and I remember asking her, like, "What's going on? I know you're single. <laughs> so Why is she suddenly wearing a while she's davening?" And she said that, "Yeah, there's a certain approach that you're supposed to cover your hair when you daven shvane esrei." So I thought it was like, "Wow, interesting. I guess I really don't know a lot about this." And now preparing for this episode, I found that. There are some of the Gadolis Farah that even single women need to cover their hair during Shavon Esray and Berkas Amazo But most women are not Makhbit on this. Okay, now I would like to touch on head covering for men and how in the end it does shed some new light about head coverings for women. The Gemara in Masech Shabbos teaches that covering the head brings yours Shammai and prevents a person from sinning. In Masech Kedushan, Rav Huna quotes Rav Yehoshua who had said, Shekhinah Miroshi. Which means there is a Shekhinah above my head, meaning the reason Rav Yahushua goes with his head covered is because covering the head has a function of seriousness, of COVID-Rosh. Because the Shekhinah is on top of my head, I can't walk with my head exposed. Following this, the Raman wrote that men are accustomed to keep modesty themselves, and they do not expose their heads. He also says it's mandatory to cover their heads during prayer. Then the Shulchan Aruch brings down a halacha for every person to cover his head, even not during prayer. Also, the Shulchan Aruch explains when the Torah says, it means today it's forbidden to go with your head exposed. So here I want to end off with, the reason Jewish men were no to cover their heads was for the reason of tzniut If a man exposes his head, there's no sexual aspect to that. We can conclude that the term tzniut in a devrei it's a much broader term than just a way of restraining one from desires of lust. In its essence, tzniut is a read on life that encapsulates both humility and Kovid Rosh. And this leads us an additional dimension to covering a woman's head. that Married, note Israel, were no hek to do. Covering one's head as a married woman essentially represents both Kovid Rosh and dignity that is characteristic of Obedeh Hashem. So this is something that we can learn and that shows light upon women's head covering is that, yes, we have the central reason behind it and we explained all of that, but also, what's really beautiful, and this we take from why also men cover their head, is that at the end of the day, it does reflect COVID-Rosh and dignity. I want to thank Chaim Anase, a very good friend of mine, who sat with me for many hours, and she helped me transform many of these sources from the halachic language to language English that is fit for this podcast platform. Thank you
0: so much for having me, Frady. Bye. Thanks for sticking around until the end. Friendly reminder to keep reaching out. Please keep sending feedback. I love forwarding it to our guests. I love continuing the conversation through email, through WhatsApp, through Instagram and Facebook. So keep at it. If you or anyone you know is looking to launch a podcast, please send them my way. I just have a couple of VIP podcast launch days left until the end of 2021. And I'd love to fit you in. Thank you so much for tuning in. See you in the next episode and have a beautiful Hanukkah.